on today's episode of Bucked Up. And for better or worse, at times, um, they, they stumble upon and do something really inspired with it. And at, a lot of times it is very apparently a shameless cash grab at like some Gen X millennial dollars. Yeah, yeah. It worked. Okay, cool. <laughs> we're all on. It's 732, so we're somewhat on time. Uh, very on time for rap, actually. Very surprising. I've uh, I've waited very long time for podcasts. What's the longest you've waited and not called it off? And not called it off? All right. Are you guys familiar with Griselda at all? Like West Side Gun, Conway the Machine, Benny the Butcher. Have you ever heard of those guys? Yes. All right. So I travel with them a lot. And uh, they've been on the podcast. But before they really knew me, Conway said that he'd come on the podcast. And uh, he said he'd come on as I was two hours driving past Buffalo back to Massachusetts because I was in Detroit. I was doing a tour. So I got back and let's say I'll cut long story short. So I'm not talking on my own podcast. I waited about 36 hours in Buffalo, but that podcast, uh, he put it on one of his albums and I'm on a Conway vinyl and that kind of like helped me start my success. So, uh, I didn't mind waiting and it was ended up being a great time. It was worth it. Yeah. What's the longest you guys have ever waited for a verse? (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think the longest I've ever made somebody wait for a verse was like probably two years. Oh, two years. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> I kept saying I'd get to it and I just didn't. I'm, a, I'm much more um, prompt and timely and respectful of other people's deadlines now. But yeah, I, that was that was ridiculous. How yeah, did the it, muse hit you after two years? Sorry to cut you off. Um, well, it was great because it was I ended up writing something that was so much better than my original concept. <laughs> so Turned out great. I'm just going to blame it on that. Oh, man, the art had to simmer. Am I allowed to ask what it is? Uh, it was a song for Michael Kill. Okay. <laughs> How about you? How about you? Well, like, I first linked with K- Karis one and called him and pitched him the idea, but he didn't agree to do it. So I don't know if this counts. And then it was like a year later, I was like, I emailed his manager. I was like, here's the budget. Here's the deadline. Can he do it? Yes or no? And then he hit the deadline. So, but for like a year plus, I didn't know if he was going to do it, but I was hoping he would. And then I would just like assumed he, I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. I think if you give someone a deadline and they don't meet it, then you don't have to work with them again. You don't have to feel bad. But if you pay them and they miss a deadline, that's whack. But I've never had that happen, actually, thankfully. (laughs) Well, you did beat us. You did beat us in that race. So, uh. <laughs> it's an honor to have you guys on. I even through Zoom, I, I really I've been listening to both of you guys for a super long time. I'm uh I'm twenty I'm twenty-six. So just to say how I found you guys, Schaefer 2007 to 10, and then <laughs> Lars. My dad played me signing emo when I was seven years old. That's Whoa. Tight. <laughs> 
That's Isn't cool. that he worked for Zildjian and somebody for Zildjian oh. played him that and he played it for me at seven. So it's <laughs> a long time coming. Thanks, Sam's dad. What's, his <laughs> na- what's, what's your dad's name? Richard Buck. Thanks, Richard. That's cool. But I'm going to stop talking for the rest of the podcast. I, <laughs> we got off to a bad start. But uh, no, I um, I was listening to the stuff you sent me. And then I was looking at your Kickstarter. Is that Disney? Is that that's not the full album that's going to come out or is it? You got a preview EP, but the Kickstarter is for the album that's coming out early next year. Yeah, it was amazing. Disney, Disney inspired. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. You know, we Shaper and I have worked on a lot of things over the years, but we were like, let's do a record. We toured right before COVID. So we had all these memories of that tour that got us going through, that kept us through COVID. And right before COVID, as part of that tour, we went to Disney World. So we were like, oh, what if we made a record only about the Haunted Mansion? And then we were like, well, maybe we'll do something just about dark themes in Disney. And it kind of took a life of its own. You know, we wrote it really quickly and it came together great. Um, Yeah, we did it most of it remote, pretty much, you know. what else? What else, Schaefer? It, I, I don't know. Those are all the talking points of, of how the, the record came to be. It was, yeah, inspired pre-COVID and, and executed post-COVID over uh, the summer of 2023. You guys went to Disney? Yeah. On tour, we had some fans who got us in and we were, Schaefer, you've never been, right? I, it, was, it was my first. I'd never, I'd lived in California too. I'd never been to any Disney park and uh, Lars had been to Disney World a lot, and it was the end of of that tour again, with no knowledge of of the shutdown coming. It was about a week after we got home, but we ended that tour triumphantly by going to Disney for me for my first time, and us going on the Haunted Mansion ride together. And I feel like that is the first seed of this project being planted. Us sharing yeah. that experience. That was so much. It was so much fun. I was such a dumb kid. <laughs> Free tickets to Disneyland, Deuce. That sounds like the best. That's that's like a big plus for being an artist, I feel. Getting snuck into Disneyland. I feel like that doesn't happen a lot. I don't know. I feel like in Orlando, it probably does. I think a lot of people have family passes there. And they could uh, they could bring people in. Because we didn't have to do anything shady. We didn't have to wear a disguise or like get inside a trench coat together. Oh, like sneaking into <laughs> a concert where you're like, oh, yeah, like. You know, <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> I used fa- I used to use fake IDs. Uh, really? I used a fake ID to see Wesley Willis when I was seventeen, and it was a bar, twenty-one and up bar, and definitely did not look real. But oh. I got in. I got in. That's interesting, Lars. I just learned something about you because we both have this separate lore, like our own unique uh, and very um, opposite sort of lore about us, and that you're always like you're such a joyful like good-natured, good-hearted, solid dude, and I'm this degenerate (laughs) (laughs) dirtbag. And I never knew that. I just learned that you in your life have at least once used a fake ID, and I have never, even in my depraved youth, I never once used a fake ID for anything. So you just got a a dirtbag point on me. I used a fake ID, so I think you're better than all of us. (laughs) (laughs) I am the best living person. You should change like uh, to like heaven's gates behind you because he's <laughs> the haunted house behind him. <laughs> How'd you get your fake ID? 
the statute of limitations is up? Um, it was some like it, it was see so in high school, my high school had a radio station. So we flew to New York. They flew us to New York for this radio conference called CMJ. And there was some like bodega we heard about. These dudes were printing them in the back. It was like 50 bucks and took a picture. And it said it was I was 21. It said I was from Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> and yes, and it was my actual address, but a different city. I thought, well, at least I can, if they ask me what street I live on, you know, um, and yeah, waited about a half hour and the ID looked really bad. And even the guy, when I used it, he was like, this is definitely fake, but I'm gonna let you in. I said, cool. <laughs> I called you out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was nice. But he, he, let you, he let you in for the effort. They wanted their $20 or whatever. Yeah. All right, Schaefer, I'll ask you if someone was like, yo, in the back of bodega, someone's printing or someone's doing anything illegal would you go back there and do that oh my god probably i probably if i had known that was an option i probably would have done it just for the experience and just for the story because uh yeah and in, in my younger years i did so much dumb dangerous shit in places where i should not have been just for the sake of doing it so if i think even though i never had a fake id i think even if i were over 21 and i looked like i were under 21 and somebody told me about a bodega with a secret back room that was selling fake ids i probably would have done it anyway yeah i actually i got my fake id my mom paid for it my mom <laughs> bought right. me it because all right so i i don't know i'm a stand-up comedian and the first time i did stand-up was at the comedy store and the only I was 17 and the only way I could get into the comedy store was a fake ID. So I flew to L.A. with a fake ID just to perform at the comedy store for the first time. That's tight. So I wasn't even that bad of a kid. I, my, I became bad later in life. <laughs> All right. Lore aside, who's the bigger degenerate? Not real oh. degenerate, but. Uh, well, it's definitely me. I have a pretty storied history of drug abuse and drug addiction. And in fact, my uh, uh, I channeled my experience uh, with addiction into our new record, 999, uh, into a we uh, we took a, one of the Disney properties that we wrote about. And uh, Lars actually had the idea to make it uh, a metaphor for for drug addiction. And then I cracked my knuckles and said, all right, well, I'll write it because I know that story. Are you Lars? Do you s smoke, drink, anything? Are you sober? Uh, yeah, I've been sober about seven years. I used to smoke weed and drink and stuff, but I stopped just because I was not getting things done. And it, yeah, it just, I just didn't like it, so I quit. And it's cool. Yeah, I do. I do smoke, but I'm like I'm on the fence on what my future with it is. But I don't like. It doesn't hinder me too much, but. I do know what you mean. It does take up a lot of time. Depends, right? Like, like it really depends because when you're a rapper, if you can only write when you're high, then you don't have a good sense of whether your stuff's good or not because, like, you're you're filled. You know what I mean? Like, as a comic, do you find you write better high or sober when you're writing material? I write on stage. I really just go up there with an idea and then try to figure it out because I do a lot of sets. 
That's so cool. like last night in Manchester, I kind of just like roasted the crowd for 20 minutes. And then I was like, okay, now I can just go into my material, but I'll play off what I already know about them in the audience. That's what's up. Were you um, Manchester, New Hampshire? No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know a guy named Nick, Nick LaValle? He's like a comic yeah. up there. Uh -huh. no, I do. Oh, shoot. Cool. That, that's cool. He's a cool guy. He's our buddy. Small world. Yeah, yeah so. I hung out. I hung out with him at Lars's wedding. Really? Yeah, he was Where at my was wedding. Your wedding? Uh, in Connecticut, and Nick had been. We stayed with him on tour so much. You know how I met him? Well, I was in Union Square, and he goes, "Are you MC? You're MC Lars, right?" And I was like, "What the heck?" And he was like, "Real cool guy." And I did a rap for his album, and then I stayed with him on tour in Boston. He's like, "Hey, you guys can stay with me," and then we became friends. That's crazy. That's dope. That's Love dope. You, That's a cool uh, story and plug right there. <laughs> That's so. Uh, where where do you live, Sam? I live, in, Mass I live in Massachusetts. Okay, so you're where do you guys stuff. live right now? I live in Queens, New York. Oh, awesome! And I'm in Prince, Princeton, New Jersey. Oh, really? Okay, so East Coast. Yeah, yeah, we're all East Coast. I wasn't sure about time zones. I'm not very good with them. <laughs> That's what's up. Oh, I'm not good at them at all. <laughs> I'll do another shameless plug for your uh, album <laughs> because I was talking about weed wasting time, but I was thinking about this nostalgia wastes so much time. It's <laughs> all the like, yo, nostalgia wastes so much time nowadays. It's crazy how much it's pushed on us. And I saw that uh, it's talked about in your album. That's sure. a very good point. Well, I, you're, you have an interesting perspective because, like, What's the oldest thing you remember pop culture wise that's still like relevant? The oldest thing pop culture that like wise. came out when you were like, and you're like, this is new when you were whatever age, and then it's still like a thing now, you know? I feel like I'm gonna sound like such like a like a normie, but it's like SpongeBob. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's that's huge. It's, that's that's a massive pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, but I feel like that's a, a lot of there's a lot of SpongeBob kids, you know? Sure. How about you guys? What are your first memories of pop culture? <laughs> uh, I was alive when Star Wars came out, and I remember that vividly. Uh, and it like informed the entire rest of my life. How I'd, do you like, feel I, with what it's being done now? I still love it. It's Star Wars. I don't care, man. I get some score. I get some like dog fights and I get some sword fights and I get some pew pews and some robots. I, even when it's bad, I still love it. I, I'm not I'm not I don't hold it precious. I just I'm I, for one, am excited to live in a world where Disney bought Star Wars. And now there's a there was a time when there was a very finite amount of Star Wars that existed. It was six movies. It was, for a time, there was three movies. And now there's so much content, I haven't seen it all. And I'm I'm okay with that. All right. So you guys aren't anti-Disney. That's what I was really going to get down to in the root <laughs> of it all. But no, answer the question. What was your first pop culture memory? My, my first new thing was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because I remember I was like five when that came out. And I was like, oh, this is a new character. That not only is he a new character, all the characters that exist in the metaverse of cartoons are in his universe. And uh, that was tight. But like nostalgia, it's interesting because like as the culture, popular culture becomes so fragmented with the internet streaming everything, it's rarer to have a iconic like North Pole that connects us all. 
of something we that resonates with us. And like nerdcore rap, it's so fragmented with all the fandoms. We were like, well, what's something that's like people can kind of like remember collectively? And Disney's probably the biggest thing that we could have done a album about. But yeah, we're not anti-Disney. We just wanted to talk about the dark stuff in it and the just how Disney helps us confront our mortality. That's kind of the theme, you know? I didn't know if you were like Disney conspiracy people. <laughs> Absolutely not. They're just ended up being just such a wealth of pop culture there and, and, and shared um, experiences and shared connections to like certain stories that kind of transcended all of these other little like niche pop culture fandoms that we've created since like everybody knows who Pinocchio is. Um, and then to then go and look at so many of those old films um, and really uncover how much sinister material is, is like lurking in all of those and how many dark themes and, and something that Lars has pointed out is that I feel like for a lot of us, um, Disney was like our first uh, exposure to just even the concept of death as children. I mean, it was for me. I, there, I didn't really know anything that took death head on like literally every Disney animated feature I saw as a kid. Um, so it just seemed like there was a wealth of recognizable material there that could easily be used to explore a lot of really, um, universal experiences of the human condition. And so we, so we went, we put on our mining hats and got our pickaxes. <laughs> you guys don't, are you like sick of it because it was an idea that was so long ago? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I mean, thank to you. Make Welcome it, to Buckdom. We decided to make it diverse, <laughs> right? Not just, I think we'd be sick of it if it was just the Haunted Mansion, probably, right? So we had to like, we kept, but there's like with Disney, it's like the more you delve into it, the more there is. And, and I don't know, I wouldn't probably want to do another Disney record though, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> what do you think, Shaper? Unless uh, Disney, I think I got, you. I think I, yeah. uh, I think I wrote all the stories I care to tell in this world. <laughs> I spent all summer just kind of like locked up, just watching everything, all these classic movies on Disney Plus over and over and taking notes and and rewatching scenes and, and writing stories based on these like just even background characters and these big things. I, I think I've, I've done as much as I, I care to for a while. Why would you do it in the summer? That's the only thing. It was just timing, but it was not pleasant. <laughs> That's a wintertime activity. I yeah, feel like. I, and I live on the sixth floor in New York, so it's uh, the summertime is not forgiving. But I do feel like, all right, so you're pro Star Wars being pushed and Disney and things like that. But I do feel like maybe it's a conspiracy in my mind, but not really that nostalgia is a way to just like keep you just people love it so much like love just things that like guardians of the galaxy the music it just reminds them of their childhood it just yeah. it's like everything just is like let's not remember the time that's now my dude nostalgia is not a conspiracy it is an industry now and it transcends music art like film television comic books novels everything is that it is it has become aware that 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 i mean starting really with like the boomer generation uh that that like 
rehashing and, and showing you these like trinkets of your childhood again as an adult and with like bigger budget is just that is just a business model. It's not it's not even a secret. It's it's there's no shame in that there. That is what all industry does now. And for better or worse, at times um, they they stumble upon and do something really inspired with it. And a lot of times it is very apparently a shameless cash grab at like some Gen X millennial dollars. Um, but it it is here and it like it informs so much of entertainment media now. All right. But like you guys <laughs> release a lot of great new music, but do you feel like it gets lost because old stuff is pushed so much? Hmm. I mean, our whole touring business is millennial and Gen X nostalgia, right? Like that's where people come to see us. We're not getting new fans, really. I mean, maybe, but like, like we got Sam Buck, so shout out to Sam Buck. But you heard us what when up? you were seven, so like, <laughs> it's like we're like, I think that I don't know. Yeah, the news, our new stuff. I don't. My people are definitely streaming my songs from two thousand six more than anything I put out in the past six years. That's fine because it's just because like hip hop is about new art, younger artists, right? It's like, if you're in your forties and you're rapping, you're a nostalgia act. And it's like, front of lot uses the term in that email, a legacy act. I think that's a bit generous, but like, just like, <laughs> you don't, if you don't go away, people are going to follow you. But if you were never cool, you're never uncool, which is something. So like nostalgia for musician is good. If you've, if you had some success early on, is that kind of what you mean, Sam? Or you mean like the stuff we write about? No, damn. I, uh... <laughs> oh wait, I want to unpack that a little bit just yeah. because like I don't know how I don't know like I don't see if the, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think if you All right, why do you think people don't listen to your newer stuff more than your stuff from a long time ago? Why well, don't I... you think you get new fans now? We do. We do. It's just like the bell curve went like that. It's like Bitcoin. It like went up and then down. And it's like people find us slowly. But I think Nerdcore had its like as a cultural phenomenon in 2007. It was like, oh, this is rap about this. And it had this energy behind it early 2000s. And I think there's all these young, younger rappers who are like getting who are getting a lot more algorithmic attention because they're just hip hop is about being young and hip. And so I don't know if this is I'm not saying I'll ever quit. But you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, I do what I love. This is satisfying. And like, we got a great reaction on our Kickstarter. So that's tight. So new people are finding us, but it's a definitely slower exposure. What do you think, Schaefer? As I think, I, but I also think that it it has had a, a pretty profound beneficial effect on both of us on what it is that we create because we don't, we haven't, you know, neither of us have really just done a lot of here's a song about a thing that you like for the sake of it being that thing in a while and i feel as we have matured our songwriting has and the things that we choose to explore and it, i think that this album is kind of a trojan horse because it it on the surface is really like oh look it's dark spooky songs about like disney stuff that sounds like that sounds like your conventional nerdcore fare right taking a pop culture property and exploring it through hip-hop uh, but I think that it's a bit of a Trojan horse because then once you get inside, it's a lot of like a couple of adult men, like kind of facing some, like talking about facing their mortality and, and, but doing it through the guise of 
paying tribute to like some beloved animated films. All right. I agree with you. And I think it's an amazing album. But I think about that bell curve shit, not to to say foul language, but I think <laughs> because I liked it so much. All right. That G is for trauma song. If you pushed that hard for like a month on TikTok, which you might not know nothing about, that could go <laughs> viral and that bell curve could go up again. And it's like yes, you're painting yourself in a box when you think that way a little bit. And I don't think like if you put yourself into the damn, the old shit is what's getting me the shit. Then you are always going to be that. And yeah. I, I didn't even think that you thought that way, but I'm hearing it now. So I'm going to say something is yeah. like that's you have good stuff. It's just like I hate modern marketing. I film all my stuff on my iPhone and these road goes it, the whole thing. Pro sorry, that audio is horrible right there. The whole thing probably cost me $300 and I get hundreds of thousands. I had a video go get 22 million views this month. And I paid $350 for everything. And I spent a couple hours to cut that video. And then I get like... It's super easy to learn the new marketing things if you put the time towards it and you have good music. But if you marketed it that way, your bell curve could go even higher than it was before. That's good. I like, it's a positive thinking, right? You're right. Like if you're like, oh, man, the blah, 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 that the old shit is what people like. That's the uh, that's negative thinking. And I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe it's kind of like defensive to like say that before other people will. But like you're right. TikTok is is like. I don't even like TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, YouTube shorts go stupid, like anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Like the platform is always changing. And if you have good music and you are spending time to learn it, you're not going to be forgotten. Right. You don't want to be like, you don't want, just because something is new, you should, you shouldn't not want to learn it. And like the verticals are definitely where it's at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you made your money on your Kickstarter, but you're still doing this podcast. <laughs> like, it's still like you're not like done with it, you know, like you still seem to love it. Yes. I'll make or music until I die. Do you feel like you're done? Yeah, with I think it. we may have mis we may have misrepresented uh, how our, our own <laughs> cynicism here because uh, we're still, I'm, I can't. I speak for Lars, Welcome but to I'm going to, podcast. we can, we're still having a ton of fun and, um, still have a lot of material to create and share. Yeah. But, but I think that if you look at our top five Spotify songs, it's stuff that's a little older, which is fine. Sometimes stuff just takes a while to get to people, which is fine. You know, I mean, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. New, new materials always also, if it's if you're just going for play count, it's always going to be competing with the calendars of time that have led up to that release. Yeah. And you have been doing it for a long time, so I'm not trying to say that I know any more than you. I'm just trying to figure out how you feel about music going forward, I guess. I, I said in 2006, I said in my song, download this song, I said, music is a product. Music was a product. Now it is a service. Right. And like this idea that like music is essentially ephemeral and free, but if you love doing it, that's the thing that you market. Your brand is like the energy and your, and your 
curiosity and like your uh, just not being precious about specific things. That's a bad trap to be as stuck in as an artist, to be obsessed with something you did 20 years ago. You can acknowledge that that pays your rent, but I think you're right about the bell curve, being hopeful that like what's next is going to, is going to be what's your best thing you've ever done. You know what I mean? Like that's the, tr- that's the, that's the solution to being like a happy creative person. Definitely. I agree with you on that. And I think that labels put a lot of money into young artists, but a lot of that money is lost. And I know this firsthand when I've talked to label execs. It's a lost game. Honestly, older artists are making the most money in the independent Mm. market. And that's kind of who I look up to and who I listen to and a lot of the people I interview are people who make a lot of money independently. And that's why I look up to you guys is, but I don't think it's a young man's game. And I think that's why I'm, that's the point I'm pushing, I guess. Mm. I don't mean to get uh, fiery <laughs> on you guys on this podcast. No, it's okay. No, so that's like, all, that's all some pretty valuable. Um, that's all valuable to hear. But the so money's thanks. lost how? Like they'll put like, a bunch of money into a Spotify campaign, but then it doesn't recoup on the streams. Like, how yeah. Is it? yeah, all their followers are fake. Okay. All their yeah. streams are fake. Like you can buy bots that'll just like a lot of that is fake. Like, all right, I'll keep, I'll say Griselda. I feel like this is like a Griselda podcast, but it's not. It's like they're in their late thirties, early forties. And they're making a lot of money and they didn't make money for a long time, but they just had something, a formula that worked later are, and there's a lot of people like that in their camp that are older that just kept going and not that you don't, but that just blew up even crazier. They had their bell curve go crazier a second time. This episode is sponsored by Infused Productions. They are the best in cannabis products and events. Make sure to follow them online at Infused Productions. That's I-N-F-U-Z-E-D Productions. And check out what they have going on. Let's get back into it. Yeah, And it seemed like you didn't think that was going to happen. Oh, well, no. You're not going to have something that's going to like blow past the other stuff. I think, so this is, Shaver, correct me. This is what I think. And I'm curious what you think. I think that like, it goes back to the nostalgia thing. If all you're rapping about is the 80s, like that's not going to pop off. But people are going to, people love if you say something about what's going on now with like an old school perspective or like a tight perspective. So like this Disney record, Disney fans are going to like. Um but it's still nostalgic. So it's this question of it's kind of going off what you're saying about like nostalgia being the most the, the the biggest common denominator with fans. Like, can something nostalgic become mainstream again if it's not co-opted by the people who own the intellectual property? I don't know. Has that happened? That's the question that I'm kind of trying to to present to you guys. I don't know. I mean. Decades ago, that band had a really big hit with that Barbie Girl song. And then it came back with a remix. Yeah. 
Look at the alchemist. He was gone for a very long time, and now he's had probably bigger than he was when he was producing for Bob Deep and everything. Yeah, that's what's up. That's what's up. That's that's the benefit of you know the energy of like Sam being in your twenties to like have that wisdom because I think that's wisdom that people don't remember that there's you're, there's always something exciting that you can do that's going to like make your legacy stand out and. To have that optimism is really special and don't and it's important not to let go of it. You know what I'm saying? And to keep working, keep working if you love something. But you don't want to just be like a freaking like monkey on the like a on the typewriter trying to hit every social media thing if there's no heart and emotion in it. I think that's the other side, right? Like putting your energy into what social media platforms because they're really just trying to monetize your time. I don't know. Free program to dopamine. <laughs> I think you can tell from this conversation that I actually want to have it. I hope so, or that I feel passionate about it. But then on top of that, I can use that. And now I do know, all right, like I'm young and I might have like a different type of energy because I do hear that. But I want to hear wisdom about, I guess, how you feel about it now after being in the game for a long time, after your old stuff. And I don't even make music. But after your old stuff paying your rent now, how do you feel about it? Does that make you happy? Do you wish you had another bell curve? Like, how do you feel about that? What do you think, Mark? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel pretty uh, comfy um, and uh, grateful that like I've had the career that I have have had, and uh, I might not connect with my older material artistically or even ideologically anymore i may have outgrown a lot of, of those ideas but i'm still really grateful that i made it all and that i released it and that it was part of like my growth as an artist that i got to do with the benefit of an audience over the years you know i've had a lot of people kind of watch me uh grow up from being a, just an all-out dirtbag to at least a, a somewhat thoughtful dirtbag and uh so regardless of feelings that i may have or, or how many you know, just, you know, uh, streams I get, if it's, if it's more focused on the older stuff, I'm not, I'm never, I don't really have negative feelings about it. I'm grateful that I've had an audience as long as I have. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I'm glad, I'm glad I've gotten the tour as much and do what I've wanted to do with my life and meet my heroes. And I, I have no complaints. At this point, it's just fun, you know? And I think having that, this album was really fun because it was like easy and quick and it came together well. It wasn't like torturous thing that sometimes making an album can be. And yeah. if, if every album's as fun as this and like comes together this this easily, I, I have like, I want to do like 30 more records in my life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> when was the most torturous point in making music? Well, for me, for me, like I spent three years on my fourth record that um, had a lot of collabs and it was a very expensive record and it got, it, has, it had a good reaction. But like I, I was like in the mind state of you, you have to release full records. Like I hadn't come to the realization that you, you're supposed to drop more singles. So and that was like when I was getting sober during that time and like figuring out what was holding me back and what was inspiring me. And uh, it was just a wild time, but I think I'm past that now. But yeah, that's like, you don't have to, if you spend three years to make a record, four years to make a record, 
it's that's in this era, like that's too, way too much time. You have to put out more records than that if you want to be a working artist. You, no one has the luxury to spend four, three years on a record. No one has the luxury to spend two years on a record, I don't think. But Shaver, maybe you disagree. <laughs> well, I've definitely taken some long amounts of time working on record. But I think the most like uh, challenging or what was, the, what was the question? The most what time? Torturous? No, yeah, because you said you said yeah. that you it wasn't it didn't feel torturous making this album. So I want to know when in music it did feel torturous. When was the most torturous point in making music? Probably COVID. Um, losing like being able to like I don't know just be with your friends and like play stuff and bounce ideas off them, or definitely not getting that intermittent live uh, feedback from the audience which is so nourishing, uh, especially when you're like trying out new material, not being able to do that and doing everything inside for, for a streaming audience was, was kind of torturous, but I feel we, we, um, we adjusted and kind of thrived during that time. It was just, it was, it was a rough transition. Yeah, I understand. It's hard. To, it, was, it was hard to then also not, not write a million songs about COVID, but because then you're realizing like, oh, my God, I'm going to have this body of work for three years. It's going to be absolutely dated and locked into this period of time forever. Mm-hmm. So to, to keep like thinking about other things in a, and, uh, in a world where like you couldn't really go and experience them still was that was all pretty rough. Did you have a high point? Like what, where, when, when did you feel the most fulfilled? Wow. You go first, Shaver. Yeah. I I don't know. I think I probably, the most fulfilled I, I probably ever felt, or like one of my highs at least was I released this, I, I wrote and uh, released this very personal concept album about therapy uh, 10 years ago. And it was unlike anything that I'd made before it. And it was really ambitious and it really kind of changed what I wrote about going forward. Um, instead of just making a lot of pop culture references, like doing some pretty honest and vulnerable self exploration at times. Uh, that was, I felt really fulfilled artistically and, and I felt the audience response was really great to it. And I feel like that was kind of a turning point in my career and also in my relationship with my audience. I felt that that was a very, very fulfilling time. There was a great tour that came after it. It was just all, everything just kind of worked really well. Sick passenger. Yeah. That's what's up. I would say for me, it was when my my son is three. So when he was born, we were in on lockdown. I made my blockchain planet record, which was like very fast and easy and fun. And then we had our little tour. That was the most fulfilling time in my life creatively, making that record. It was easy. And it was like when you have a kid, you're like, oh, this like. We're all part of something bigger than us. And it's like, I realized that. So then that's like one song you don't have to spend a, a year on a song because like everything's ephemeral so keep it moving that was like the wisdom i had that was really liberating so that's what's up and also being on sam's podcast that's pretty cool <laughs> well i hope you guys are having a good time i'm sorry i brought the mood down no it's all right i uh it's funny. I was going to, <laughs> we were going to go down two paths and I'm going to make you go down the second path. And it's wicked funny now. 
is I was going to be like, oh, what was your like first conversation like going into the haunted mansion? <laughs> and it's funny. I'm, I'm really bad at segues and stand up, but I'll do it right here. I don't really care. You mean like when we literally were walking in there? Yeah. <laughs> we were. Well, there was this thing that was like. You press buttons and it does rhymes. and You have to guess the rhyme. So we were like doing that. And that was fun. And then. um we were with these fans who who brought us in, and they—I don't know if it's a very good story. What what is the talking about, Shaver? <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. I remember you guessing all of the rhymes in the little interactive tomb thing on the way in. That was fun. That was fun. Everybody yeah. in line was having a great time because we were the most joyful posse, and they were like families with children, but nobody was having as much fun as we were. I feel like I haven't gone to Disney when I was old. Like I've gone as a adult. I feel like if you, uh, uh, congratulations on having a kid. How, uh, if you, when you, you take them to Disney, I feel like you'll get that joy. Because, like, I definitely had joy at Disney as a kid, but I feel like I'll enjoy it a different way when I finally go back as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very different because, like, when you're an adult, like a great like here's a great example like uh, you've been on sam you've been on the haunted mansion ride right as a kid mm -hmm. or you there's like this hat this hand that goes backwards over the clock and it's like a claw but if you turn around you can see how they designed it it's like this circular these cardboard hands on this spinning wheel so as a kid you're like whoa there's this demon claw going over the clock but as an adult you turn around you're like wow some engineer designed this and cut this out of cardboard you know so it's like different sort of wonder how they pulled this off and how it's been profitable for for so long, you know. Do you have like, like roller coasters? Yeah, sure. I do. Yeah, yeah. How about like, you? Uh, I like them, but like yeah. I, I guess does Disney have any like crazy roller coasters? I guess I think Space hurts. Mountain is the craziest, and that's not that crazy. No, they're not. They're not crazy roller coaster land. Like the one in uh, what's the one in Ohio? Oh, Cedar. Cedar, Cedar Point. Point. Cedar Point. Yeah, yeah, Cedar Point. Have you done that one? No, but I've been to Six Flags Great America in Jersey, and that's pretty dope. Is it? I haven't been to that one. It's great. They have got the King to Ka ride. That thing is insane. The what is it called? King to Ka. It's like one what's of the that? world's ten most. The insane roller coasters. Do your legs hang? No. Like one of those? No. It's not that that you're seated, but they just it just shoots you like a mile into the sky at like 85 miles per hour or something. It's 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 really insane. It's a brief ride, but it's um it changes your entire belief system and your <laughs> and how you use the world. <laughs> you like Prob probably from the concussion. What? Do you like horror movies? Love horror movies. Like new ones or old ones? Both. I love all of them. Why? You see something new that's good? That, do I need to see it? I just, well, actually, I don't know. Do you guys like gore? Yeah, sure. Have you seen Terrifier? Uh, I've not seen Terrifier or Terrifier 2. Uh, tomorrow I'm interviewing the producer from Terrifier 2 on the podcast, but they just had a rescreening of it uh, last night that I went to. That's great. Have you ever heard of that? I'm looking it up now. So it's like the clown from. It's, it's just like a clown from Terrifier. 
Yeah, it's just like a clown, and it's pretty gory. Like, it's known for being pretty gory. Yeah, okay. Well, I like horror movies. I like horror movies because you root for the villain as the hero, right? For Like, Jason is like the hero. You want him to accomplish his tragic origin story. You want him to, like, make peace with his past. It's one of those weird situations where, yeah. You can like see the world through someone else's eyes. Yeah, but all but modern horror doesn't typically have like a an iconic like killer who's stalking like a group of of expendable characters. They're all so much more deeper, deeper and heavier now. So like you can't really root for like childhood trauma or or weird sort of Oedipus complexes and stuff. It's it's all mm-hmm. everything is stranger, and it's I and A twenty four is probably to thank for that. I liked Pearl and X. I, I loved that, Pearl. I, I liked X a lot, but I love. I have a Pearl. Pearl. I almost wore a Pearl hoodie tonight, but I didn't. It was too hot in my room. Sweet. But no, I loved Pearl. I felt yeah. that was good. But I do feel like I thought this the other day that, like, before you can't root for just like hot people being killed anymore. Like that yeah. was what old horror was. Bless you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> of course, I saw that. I, I had to get you on that one. But no, it's, uh, a, it's a it's a tired movie model. And even when they try to like spruce it up every few years by being like, oh, but we're self aware. We're like seven layers of like self referential nonsense past Scream, and we're still doing it. And like those movies aren't really like that memorable or work anymore. Now it's all of like it's all our relationships with our mothers. <laughs> it is did you see that Bo is afraid yeah did you see yeah. that Lars I haven't seen any of these movies you have a kid yeah do you have any kids Schaefer I do not alright cool I don't either we can see movies <laughs> okay <laughs> no he has a three year old kid he can't see movies right like he can't go see a new movie in the theater right now I feel like Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, well, when he was like, when he wasn't sleeping. But at this point, yeah, like we we live near my wife's parents. So, but my wife isn't really into horror movies. But we'll go see the um, Marvel stuff or whatever. But yeah, like I do like, I do like scary movies because they're very, there's something, I don't know, there's something like to be afraid and then to leave a theater and realize that that was just a movie, but that could happen. That is like, that's beautiful. It's like a scary ride, you know? It's like anything that, anything, horror movies require a lot of creativity because like, you're right, Shaper, the tropes been done so much, right? Like, I think it's harder to make a good horror movie than it is to make a good comedy. Yeah. There's not a lot of good comedy movies nowadays. What's your favorite mo- comedy movie, Sam, as a comedian? My favorite comedy movie, ooh. That's a really tough one. Like, do you want like old school movie? Like my favorite, like old school comedy or my favorite, like comedy that I think is like dumb and funny because I was growing up watching it. I think I like, I love it. I love airplane. Like, I think airplane's hilarious. Like that's wicked funny, but like, I love dodgeball. I think that's super dumb and funny. I like, like blades of glory, but they're just like, they don't make movies like that because they're just kind of dumb, you know, <laughs> like stand. That's why stand up is kind of big now 
is because like you can kind of get away with more in stand up than movies nowadays, but for some weird reason, I don't know why. You mean like in terms of something inappropriate or in terms of like, yeah, like movies don't really push it that much anymore, but if you watch like the newest Netflix specials, they push it pretty far. Because probably because movies are like, you have to invest a lot in it. Right. And like, if someone says a tweet about it being inappropriate, then that movie's not going to get seen. Maybe. Yeah. Everything is return on investment. Nowadays. What's going to cost the least and get the most back. That's what's up. And that's a good thing about podcasting and stand up that I didn't even mean to, but I kind of fell into it is it's both like pretty easy to do. And I love it. And it's like, but I feel like music's pretty easy to make nowadays. You guys said you made a lot of this remote. If you're a solo artist, it's lot, it's easy. I think if you're a band and you have to like tour with all like in, in actual instruments and stuff, it's expensive and hard to do. I think that's the distinction. That's why like, yeah, a lot of rappers have longer careers than bands because it's like less people to feed, I think. I don't know. what. Yeah. What do you think with Schaefer? No, no, I agree. I mean, I had a lot of experience touring, playing in bands before doing this. And uh, yeah, it's that's much easier and cost effective and lucrative to, to do it when you aren't hauling around a guy named Nate and a drum kit. <laughs> yeah. What's your uh, favorite circuit? Like, where do you guys tour the most? We do the East Coast like a lot and down to Baltimore. It's kind of like you're going to be up in Massachusetts, New England, you know, ever. Um, we we play Boston a lot. I don't I don't know when we'll be back, but are you going to tour this at all? Probably next next spring or probably. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Where's your favorite place to tour, Schaefer? Um, I mean, all over. I don't want to favor anybody, but. Uh, I, I think most frequently, yeah, we've done together, we've done that, the East coast, Eastern seaboard from, you know, from like Massachusetts to Florida, um, yeah. and then over into the Midwest. I love touring in the Midwest. I, I specifically love Columbus, Ohio so much. So, but, um, but then there, there, there's the West coast, which, you know, we both used to live there and don't get out there as much. It's, I just like, I like touring everywhere. I think I've just, you guys the, are, I, you guys I've done East the most on the East now. Yeah. 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 You like the yeah, East I mean, Coast what... lifestyle. <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. I feel like West Coast is a little more relaxed. East Coast uh, is a little bit more like tense. I'm pretty neurotic and I was pretty neurotic when I lived in California. <laughs> Here's the problem with California, especially the Bay Area, is it's very expensive and <laughs> and it's very like uh everyone there thinks they are right. Maybe that's like New York too, but like there's a certain sort of philosophy of how you have to think, and it's always on fire. And San Francisco, <laughs> it's San always really, on fire. They really it's have awful. to, and I'm all for social services and like, like, but they need that they need to give better social services to the homeless people <laughs> in San Francisco because that's like a serious issue. So all those things make California. Yeah, that's not good. I don't mean to laugh. I'm laughing because you are right. I don't mean to be like that. I'm pro that. That's not what I'm saying. They need, I mean, they I'm need to figure out. And homeless. <laughs> yeah, I would love if the Bay were affordable and weren't on fire and they had better 
and people weren't so like like um self-righteously they knew everything about everything i don't know and it's all the i don't know that's too general i'm you know i'm more liberal leaning than than anything but like there's a there's a sort of extremism of politics there that's like really annoying but no but i got friends from the bay who will talk to me about stuff and i'll listen and i'll get mugs so that's what's up yeah i see i live in like i don't live in boston i live in like the woods and i enjoy that i don't like living in a city i like traveling to cities but i like kind of being away from all that you live in queens that's expensive yeah. like do you enjoy that do you like new york um i my relationship with the city fluctuates but i mostly love it here most of the time well, anyway, it's home, right? It's yeah. home. It's, yeah, that's that's yeah, it's home now. How long have you been there? Um, next year it will be twenty years. Crazy! Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I like the emoji. Twenty years. That's wild. Sam, yeah. what's the what's the story with the painting behind you? Did you make that? No, I have no artistic talent at all. This was a uh, given to me by a um artist in rochester he painted it at a live event he did it for like 10 hours and then he gifted it to me wow. um yeah i uh, i love it but honestly i think people are gonna be conspiracy about like the triangle with the eye because I like to jokingly talk about conspiracies. I don't really listen to them. I don't really believe in them, but I like to jokingly talk about them. But then people get serious about them. And then I have this in the background. And it's like, that's not really what I'm trying. I love it. It's one of my favorite paintings I've ever seen in my whole life. But people get dumb about the eye thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. I feel, that. I feel that. Well, it's a good conversation piece. Yeah, I love all my little knickknacks that I got along the road. Do you have like a favorite thing that a fan gave you? A favorite piece that? Huh. Yeah, I'm like looking at my shelf. Because I probably have one within reach. Yeah, this is pretty good. Have have this. Oh, that's dope as fuck. That's dope yeah. as fuck. Wait, I'll shout out my friend Thatcher Wood. He's so angry. Oh, nice. What up? <laughs> That's what's up. How about you, Large? Um, probably my friendship with Schaefer. No, oh, I mean, uh, there's some really cool, like fan, like that guy Nick, the Fabio, uh -huh. post free hood, like fans who do posters for our shows. Those are cool, and they'll bring the original art. That's what's up. Yeah, that's I love, I, I love that stuff. That's art is a, the art is amazing. The art is amazing. I wish I had. Oh, I just got my first batch of merch in, and we're almost sold out. I wish I had it to hold up, but it's <laughs> in my car right now. But follow me on Instagram at Sam Bucked Up if you want merch. There's only a couple left. That's what's up. Do okay. So do you do merch for your podcast or for you as a comic or both? I do it for my podcast. I do it for my, oh, it's just kind of like, I honestly like when I, I'll go deeper into it. When I was a kid, I didn't really like anything like clothes. So I kind of wanted to create, I like when artists create brands 
and it's like a cool brand. So this is like kind of a design, but it doesn't have my name on it. It has like a phrase instead of fucked up podcast. And uh, there's like a story behind the art on it. So if you want it, you can see it on my pod, my Instagram. But yeah, well, it's a, it's a story. It's funny. It's a story. I had a psychedelic trip and I told an artist about it and he like painted something for it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys are both sober, so I'm not going to be like psychedelic stories. You know? Shape, well, Shaper's not, not right. Right, Shaper? I don't right. want to speak not. for you. Yeah. Oh, you're not? Oh, okay. No. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to assume. It's all right. What 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 are your what are your go? Are you a psychedelic guy? Are you a weed smoker? Drinker? No, I'm, I'm just a weed smoker. Okay, yeah. I'm I I, I, used, I used to do a lot more stuff, but I I quit doing all those stuffs. It's way too cold outside. I was gonna be outside so I could smoke during the podcast. I have my little weed pen, but it was too cold. It's very cold right now. One he of the was... other things is a bong I've never smoked out of, given to me by DJ Mug. Oh wow, that's what's up, DJ Mugs. It looks like the Tesla uh, truck. It <laughs> does. It does the cyber truck. It's the cyber bomb. You know what? Well, speaking of warmth, you know what's warm? Sam's ability oh. to engage conversations and do a great interview. Thank you guys so much for doing this. I really <laughs> do appreciate you guys. I know you said you only wanted to do, you know, a half hour, so I appreciate you giving me the whole hour. So thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. You're a good interviewer. It's joyful. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Where can people find your new album? Where can people find your stuff? Well, they can... Darklord.com. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, they currently, the, the new album, um, we've only like sent half of the, the album to Kickstarter backers, and the rest of it is still being finished. So uh, we're going to start dropping singles from the album leading up to the, the full release, and that'll probably start uh, this in the in the coming weeks cool this will probably be like a month until released honestly so i have a lot of backup episodes the singles so are available uh, now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about yeah. you how are you Lars? and uh yeah mclars.com shaper the darkler.com we got our patreons and we'll be dropping that flavor i'll be checking for fucked up thank you guys so much for doing this i really appreciate it and hopefully i can uh see your next show in massachusetts Awesome. That'd be tight. All right. Peace out, guys. See, see you later. Thank Peace. You.